0: It's just right for us.
1: The Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network.
2: Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the AFC's Roundup Podcast. I'm your host, Bill, season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And we're here talking about week three in the NFL. I think things went about as well as we could have asked for, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, for to give a little bit of a rundown on the show... With how bad the Jets and Patriots game was, that gave Christian pink eye <laughs> and strep, so he's not going to be able to join us. We just got Scott tonight on the show. But, I mean, Christian, things are rounding into place within the division. It's starting to separate with Buffalo and Miami like everybody thought, and then Jets and Patriots are in the rear end.
2: Where they belong, right? hmm Because realistically, offensively, those teams are probably in the basement.
1: Yeah, of everything.
2: It's just, it's interesting to see how the haves and have-nots separate themselves pretty early on in most divisions around football. I was thinking about this. The Bills have Josh Allen. We are three-time AFC East champions. Miami has Tua. They also have a very smart head coach who's learned how to harness his talent. He's trying to make good on that promise that he's going to make him a superstar. Now, you look around the landscape, you look at a lot of these divisions, where most of these things hinge is who do you have throwing the football? In the AFC North, the Steelers have a terrible offensive line, But they've got some skill players, they've got a great defense, and yet they're losing football games. And you go, oh, well, they're they're, they're embarrassingly losing football games. And then when they win them, it's a rock fight. And you go, oh, well, it's because Kenny Pickett's your guy. So in a division where you have Kenny Pickett, Deshaun Watson, and Lamar Jackson, even when Lamar's bad, he's still better than Kenny Pickett, correct?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And that's it. Everyone wants to try to anoint the next big thing. And the problem is is that it just doesn't happen often. There's a reason that there's so many teams constantly looking for new quarterback talent. And that seems to dictate wins and losses around the NFL. I mean, in the AFC West, Chris, you can't fault Justin Herbert for a lot of their losses, can you? No.
1: Just the head coach.
2: Okay. But also, he's had some games where he's kind of lost some some things. But he's very talented. And there's a reason that the Chargers are the team in the AFC West that's always challenging Kansas City for their division. Or at least it'll always be in the conversation because the quarterback is so talented that these two guys, yeah, this coach is bad and this coach is really good, so it'll separate Kansas City and... Uh, I want to call them San Diego so badly. It'll separate them. But the Raiders and Broncos are never going to be anywhere near that conversation. And you look around every division in football and you have that right now. We have that playing out here in the AFC East. And so I think it was fully on display for anybody who was unfortunate enough to watch that whole Patriots Jets game. And so that's where we that's immediately where we kick things off. I know I just opened a beer at the top of the show, but I have to do another one because we're here talking to Scott Mason from play like a jet. You guys lost to the Patriots for what? What? What is that now in a row? How many consecutive? Uh, Fifteen. Okay, so 15. Hey, listen, we, we lost to the Patriots for a decade and a half.
1: So I 20 in a row. In I can't the, oh for the 70s. So I can't poke fun.
2: If like you guys lose to the Patriots 15 to 10, if last week was the show where you and I had a pretty honest conversation about this concept, that the, the Jets coaching staff might seem a little kind of in the deep end of the pool. Is this the one where we start to talk about organizational patience? And just how much road there is for all, like, if not Joe Douglas, because Joe Douglas can't control what happens on Sundays. All he can do is find and acquire talent to put on the field. At least Nate Hackett and Robert Sala, (laughs) at least those two. Is this where we can talk about what the tether is here and how long it is?
3: Well, I mean, I think you got to talk about Joe Douglas, too, because (laughs) listen, we said this in the offseason and you'll recall, I believe I said it on your show, the Jets should have gotten a capable backup at some point. And people keep telling me, oh, well, all the best backups were going to go elsewhere because they wanted a chance to start. That's why Gardner Minshew went to the Colts, and that's why Andy Dalton went to the Panthers, and so on and so forth. But my response to that is, let's not forget that Teddy Bridgewater was sitting out there in August – that Josh Dobbs signed with the Browns where he knew he wasn't going to start. The Jets could have signed him in March or then traded for him at the end of August if they wanted to. The Cardinals traded next to nothing for him. So Joe Douglas has to take the hit on that. And we could get into what's going on with the roster another time. But as far as on the field stuff, look, Zach Wilson was terrible against the Patriots. Nathaniel Hackett's game plan was awful. There were no design runs. They did absolutely everything they could to put this kid in terrible situations by not throwing on first down until like halfway through the fourth. If you watched the game, you heard Tony Romo repeatedly bringing that up. And so Nathaniel Hackett, people are go- – I've seen people say, what do you expect him to do? He's got Zach Wilson as his quarterback. But as Andy Vasquez from NJ.com said to me when he came on the show after the game for the postgame report, the vibe in the locker room was less, we are pissed at Zach Wilson, which is what it was last year. It was more, yeah, we know Zach Wilson isn't good, but you got to do something better to try and at least give him a chance. And look, he had that one drive where they just told him to let it rip and they went 87 yards. Now, I'm not saying he's going to do that regularly. But at some point, you got to figure out some sort of balance here because the kid looked terrified to make a mistake. I assume part of that is the Belichick situation. Belichick has really owned Zach Wilson in the league. I assume part of that is just the general philosophy of being afraid to make a mistake because of everything that happened last year. But maybe part of it, too, is Nathaniel Hackett just being so scared to let the kid try to do anything. And I understand if you let it rip, there's a chance he's going to throw interceptions. But there's a saying in boxing, sometimes you got to try to win or go out on your shield. The the way that they played against the Patriots, yeah, they almost won. But you go up against teams like the Chiefs and Eagles and play that way, it's just not going to work. So you've got to let the kid try to rip. And even if Simeon comes in, it wouldn't be for another week anyway. So you've got to just – do better with the game plan and you've got to open it up a little bit because otherwise it's a guaranteed loss. You'd rather at least try. And so, yeah, Nate Hackett, it's it's looked really tough with, with him so far. But obviously, you know, you guys know about the Nathaniel Hackett experience. This isn't new to you.
2: <laughs> it's, it's like the guy, it, it's like the guy has, fa- he failed up somehow. Like he was part of a Bills team that was terrible offensively. He leaves when Doug Marone quits and the staff gets replaced. Follows Marone as like an assistant when he goes to Jacksonville. Then Marone kind of, which I thought was a shrewd move. Marone picked that team because he knew that Gus Bradley was kind of on the ropes. It was like, I can get in here with the assistant head coach thing and usurp this fucking job. And I'll be back in the driver's seat. And Nate Hackett got brought along for the ride. So now he's an offensive coordinator again with Blake Bortles and this rushing attack that can't fail. And they just stay ahead of the stick so well that his play calling is never questioned. (laughs) The next year, the wheels fall off. And then a year later, everybody's fired and they're out in the wind again. Then he ends up in Green Bay. Now he's here with Rodgers and things are going well. But you go, how much of this is him? Because... Mike McCarthy's there. Uh, Then Mike LaFleur is there. These guys are play callers. They are the ones who are the architects of these offenses. What has Nate Hackett done? But he keeps failing and still getting ahead. And then he ends up with the Jets. And it's like, well, it just seems like you know the right people. And I don't understand why you're here. And now we're watching that because now this is an offense that is craving. You have pieces. You've got a Brees Hall. You've got a Delvin Cook. Both of them are very capable receiving backs. You've got some decent tight ends. I know. Tight, I know teams. The Miami Dolphins have worse tight ends than the New York Jets. You guys aren't utilizing them. You have a, You don't have a plethora of wide receiver talent the way some teams in the NFL do. But what you have is a capable group. And yet we're not watching the scheme help augment this. Lack of talent at the quarterback position. And that's the Nate Hackett experience. And so it's just like he's failed upwards to this point. And as a Jets fan, like I saw you pointed out, like obviously he needs for, for this franchise to go anywhere. They need a better quarterback because it's clear they can't hire talent or identify talent that's hireable at these positions. I saw your tweet. I think it was today about how it was a season ticket holder for the Jets. The most disappointed you've been, because <laughs> you were like, there's so many. Was you guys blowing the game that would have gotten you Trevor Lawrence? you genuinely feel that way? Can you expand on that a little bit?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Now, to be fair, it was two games, but I maintain that if they hadn't beaten the Rams, they probably wouldn't have beaten the Browns. It's one of those Heisenberg uncertainty principle things. So I'm sticking to that. But I think what it ultimately comes down to is, yeah, you get mad at a loss. You know, they lose the AFC championship game or they lose some game in the playoffs or something like that. But the thing that struck me about the Lawrence situation is there was that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. There is so rarely a quarterback prospect that everybody agrees is a generational talent. In my lifetime, the only ones I remember being talked about that way were John Elway, Troy Aikman, Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck, Trevor Lawrence. Now, Lawrence is just hitting his stride. The other guys were all tremendous. They're all Hall of Famers except Luck, who would have been a Hall of Famer if all the injuries hadn't piled up in his career. But that was finally their chance. It was the – you couldn't screw up Trevor Lawrence. He's one of those rare talents that no bad coach could mess up, and yet somehow the Jets found a way to to rob us of having him for 15 years. And then you had to talk yourself into Zach Wilson or Justin Fields or Trey Lance or whoever, and it was just so depressing because finally they were going to solve that problem that they've been trying to solve forever – and it got wiped away in that moment. And I've had people tell me, oh, well, teams don't tank. I actually had somebody coming at me on Twitter about this. That's not true at all. In fact, Mark Cuban literally just got fined for tanking. It happens. And then he said, oh, the the, the it's funny because what happens is, you know this, when you pin someone down on Twitter, they'll just continue to move the goalposts. So first it's teams don't tank. Then it's like here's all these examples of teams tanking, like, cert- like absolutely concrete examples of them tanking. And C- then it Curtis becomes-
2: Painter. Here, here's my example. You as the Colts franchise said, "Hey, Peyton Manning's done with a neck injury, and we traded him away. Let's start Curtis Painter for a giant chunk of the season." Why? Because we want to quote unquote see what we have. Well, you know what he is. He's not.
3: A winning quarterback, which is why he's on your bench. I'll give you a better one, and this is a great example. Twenty fourteen, week seventeen, the Saints are down twenty to three against Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They pull all of their, almost all of their starters, all their best players, except for Josh McCown, who always seems to wind up on these teams. And the Saints come back and win in the second half. Now, what this guy said, and I continue to correct him. He goes. Well, players don't tank. Yeah, true. Players don't tank. Never said that players were trying to lose. Organizations tank. Okay? That is a perfect example yes. of what I'm talking about. The organization made the call that they did not want to lose out on the first pick in the draft with a stupid, meaningless win in Week 17. And they took steps to put themselves in the best possible position yes. to make sure they didn't win. <clears throat> and Mark Cuban just did it. You go back and look, there were two teams that. Openly admitted they were tanking to try and get Mario Lemieux, as one example. There was an article in Sports Illustrated about 10 years ago with an anonymous general manager who everybody thinks was the GM of the of the Orlando Magic, but nobody could ever prove it. Talking about how he understood that part of his job was knowing when to do whatever you could to lose and rebuild. Sam Hinkie, the general manager of the 76ers. called it the was process. Only- he what? called it the process. Well, the process. So there, this goes on all the time, and the fact that Woody Johnson didn't basically fire Adam Gase once he realized that this was in reach, promote some bum assistant, and say, "Look, I want you to play such and such quarterback. Like you do whatever you have to do." And I don't really care if people start saying, "Oh, they tanked." Whatever. You get Trevor Lawrence, and by the way, by getting Trevor Lawrence, that you then have your choice of head coaches because every freaking candidate wants to coach Trevor Lawrence for the next 15 years. They want to be the one that gets credit for Trevor Lawrence becoming good. It's really annoying. It's like the butterfly
2: effect. It's like what had happened if you had gotten Trevor Lawrence, you might not be staring down the barrel of Robert Sala and Nate Hackett trying to get Zach Wilson into being like, I'm looking at this chart right now by Scott, Scott Connor on Twitter Uh, Quarterback efficiency from 2014 to 2023, it's one of the most damning things I've ever seen. First of all, how is Tony Romo the most—his completion percentage above expected and his EPA per play is the highest? Like, he's up there with Patrick Mahomes. Tony Romo was a very good quarterback. Uh, Zach Wilson, the only person worse than him in the last decade of football, was Josh Rosen, the guy I wanted the Bills to draft, over Josh Allen. First of all, proves how stupid I am. Also, <clears throat> I saw another Jets tweet, and it might have been yours, it might have been someone you retweeted, <clears throat> talking about this idea that you guys now have drafted, you've traded for a quarterback, you've drafted two quarterbacks in the top three, like in the last decade, and you still no, 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 don't no, have an answer.
3: I'm going to correct you there. In the last five years, five, five years, years, holy shit! Drafted two quarterbacks in the top three and traded for Aaron Rodgers. And right now, Jet fans, including myself, are trying to talk ourselves into Trevor Simeon. That's where we're at with this. And this is kind of the point. And you touched on it with Josh Allen, right? There are so many quarterback prospects that no matter what we think we know, we don't. Right. A lot of people, myself included, thought Josh Allen wasn't going to be good. A lot of people thought that Sam Darnold would be good or that Josh Rosen would be good. And we could go down the list. There are very few quarterbacks where there's a consensus by just about everybody that it, barring an injury, there's just no way this guy will miss. So Lawrence was one of those guys that fits in that category of everybody agreed, can't miss. So that's one of the rare opportunities the Jets have ever had to get somebody like that, where even they couldn't screw it up. I'm, by the way, on a side note, getting annoyed at all the people giving Doug Peterson credit for Trevor Lawrence's development, as if he somehow is the one that magically made Trevor Lawrence good when everybody knows that Trevor Lawrence was one of these can't-miss prospects. But I digress. The point is the Jets had this opportunity at that level of player that they never get, and they Screwed it up, and now we had to talk ourselves into somebody else. And of course, it ended up being the same old story. Highly rated quarterback prospect that we were hoping would be anything close to what the hype was, and it ended up not being the case. And the funny thing about it is, at a certain point, everybody kind of understood that Sam Darnold was cooked here, right? And so everybody said, it's time to move on. It's time to go get another quarterback. And Sam Darnold has basically cemented himself as like an okay backup, I guess. He'll probably have a decently long career in the league. Never going to be a quality starter, most likely. But somehow the Jets went from him to picking another guy even higher in the draft who is probably going to be out of the league soon. So it's just remarkable how much they bungled this and how different their future could have been if they just would have completed that tank and to the jaguars credit as soon as the jets won that game they took steps to make sure oh, that yeah. they did everything they could to not win and
2: I'm, I'm sure their gm and their head coach had like a moment where they just looked at each or the, the gm at the time and like his next advisor just looked at each other and did the <gasps> thing yeah. when that happened like it, it was crazy to me that it, it went the way that it did so now here we are just a frustrating low scoring like highly winnable game by <clears throat> I, I i'm trying not to be offensive right like i'm trying not to beat up on you because you you're not the brooklyn brawler you're my friend <laughs> you're scott mason i'm trying not to beat up on you about this
3: i'm not I, the red rooster either chris will know that reference
1: yeah Terry <laughs> so, 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 taylor <laughs>
2: So, yeah, that's right. A, so, a highly winnable game that ends up once again falling by the wayside just because your coaches can't figure out how to get it done. You're now looking ahead at the rest of the schedule for the Jets, and it's just you're here talking about you got the Patriots uh, again later in the season. You still have to deal with the Bills, you still have to deal with the Dolphins. You haven't even seen them yet. The Chiefs. Yeah, you know, the the Broncos might give you a little recipe, but you don't know because that's a there, there's no telling how deep this thing can go. Now, there are some great quarterback prospects in this draft, and this is where the season is very early. Sunday it's gonna be October first. You're gonna be taking on the Chiefs on Sunday night football. You know, our there's a guy out there whose name is Boy Green, who first of all is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. But he's trying, he's trying to pump up Jets fans as if like, guys, this is gonna be an amazing, uh, watch this duel between Zach Wilson. There's no duel. There's no duel. <laughs> you just hope that this doesn't end like the season, uh, the season finale of The Walking Dead where Negan shows up. And just takes a baseball bat to everybody.
3: You just hope that that's not how this ends. Zach Wilson versus Patrick Mahomes is like the Brooklyn Brawler versus the Undertaker. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Yes.
2: And so with that in mind, like him trying to pump up your fan base is kind of like that. That's hilariously bad. I'm glad he got trolled on social media appropriately. (laughs) The question becomes, at what point now do you think, A, the Jets start looking to the future. And B, at what point do the Jets as an organization start talking about who here deserves to be, a, not just on the field, but in these offices, the coach, the coordinators, the GM, At what? how bad does this have to get before you think they start looking at those questions and saying, hey, we should question whether this guy deserves to be in the building when we inevitably draft another quarterback. Or do you think they're already there?
3: Well, the problem is, and I keep trying to explain this to Jets fans who don't want to hear it. I don't even want to say it. I don't want to hear it myself, but it is what it is. Aaron Rodgers, as far as we know, is planning on coming back next year. If Aaron Rodgers is coming back, I don't care how bad the Jets are this year. I don't care if they get the number one pick. They are not drafting a quarterback. Aaron Rodgers would lose his ever-loving mind, and we all know he just took a massive pay cut The Jets went through hell and high water to get him here. That was always the plan. They promised him a chance to win a Super Bowl. And you wouldn't blame Aaron Rodgers, right? Because, first of all, look at what happened with Jordan Love. He said, look, we're on the verge of potentially competing for a Super Bowl. And instead of using this first-round pick on somebody to help me, you're using it on my understudy? Imagine how much he'd flip out if after all the money he gave up, after everything that went down for him to come here, the Jets are like, nah, we're going to, we know our O line needs some help. We know you could use another playmaker. We know certain parts of the defense are not great, but we're going to use our number one pick on a guy that we're going to sell you on trying to sit behind you for two years. That's not happening. And Robert Sell and Joe Douglas, Aaron Rodgers likes them. He's not going to want them out. He's not going to want some sort of organizational restructure. He loves Nathaniel Hackett. He's not going anywhere. And so the reality is, I think if the Jets got a really high pick for a quarterback, what they would do is trade down. They're not going to take Caleb Williams or Drake may or somebody like that. If they get one of the top picks and everybody keeps telling me, Oh, it's definitely possible. You got to think about the team. Look, it's not happening. Woody Johnson just watched them take two quarterbacks in the span of four years in the top three that failed. He finally got the one guy that he's, been desperately trying to get a superstar quarterback who seems to actually want to be here. Woody Johnson's going to bend over backwards to placate the guy. That's just the reality of it. So what does it say about Douglas though?
2: So now if you think about what that means for Douglas who goes hey my job depends on this team winning Salah who goes my job depends on this team winning. Holy shit. Is this kind of the thing where the owner steps in and goes this is an organizational decision not your choice.
3: No, I think the owner is going to be the one driving it more than anybody. I think Woody Johnson wants Aaron Rodgers here. I mean, he's made it very clear. He he wants a superstar quarterback. So I think Woody is going to be reluctant to make any major moves because he's he knows it'll upset Rodgers. Douglas and Sal will be here, and both of them are going to know that they need Rodgers to win now. They're certainly not going to win right away with some rookie quarterback, right? So, I think that's what you're looking at the next couple of years, most likely, or however long Rodgers is here. And now, this, this all changes if Rodgers has a setback or something and well, decides, this, you know what, well, I'm sure, going to retire.
2: Sure, setbacks happen. He's not going to retire. There's way too much money here. Right, before we exactly. Let you, before we let you go, I guess the thing that I want to close with is just this question. How hot should Robert because we we understand the Chiefs are a great team the Eagles even though they're struggling to throw the football the way they did last year obviously Chris I think you called this Shane and leaving was gonna hurt them
1: yeah I did I said Jalen Hurts was gonna and, be have a setback and it's taking a step backwards
2: but at this point the question becomes who can they beat so with that in mind I'm looking at this going, how hot should Robert Sala's seat be right now here going into the first week of October?
3: Well, okay, so I'll answer it two ways. I think Robert Sala's seat should be very hot, at least once it gets starts to get later into the season. But I think that he's probably... Just like I told you before, him and Douglas are both probably safe almost regardless of anything because ultimately what this comes down to is they don't want to upset Rodgers and they are in a situation where they can use Rodgers' injury as an excuse for anything that happens anyway. So well, all right. I just, I don't think, that, look, I, I think it should be I think him and Douglas should both be on the hot seat at a certain point, uh, especially considering how poor the decision-making was as far as the backup quarterback situation. But it is what it is. I'd love to be wrong, and maybe I am, but I I think both of them are going to be safe, and I think exactly the scenario that I laid out for you is what we're going to be looking at here.
2: Well, I, I hope you're wrong for your sake. I hope things get better soon. It's not going to this Sunday? Like, I'm just putting that out there. Like, this Sunday, well, I'm going to be watching Swift
3: this. might be there, at least, so I guess that's something. What would you say? Taylor Swift might be there, so I guess <laughs> that's something.
2: It's hilarious. Th- Chris, Travis Kelsey's podcast is another number one podcast on Apple.
3: Uh, oh, I wonder uh,
1: why. Yeah. Like,
3: you know, I, I can to tell you. So Chris, can, I know you somebody just,
2: who- can you just pretty yourself up, Chris? and just go take us once she dumps travis kelsey can you just go take a hard run at taylor swift and just make this thing happen get us on the top of those charts
1: no i'm (laughs) off the market
3: with a woman i gotta be honest though guys i'm not even kidding around i know somebody who laid it out for me today for like 15 minutes about how the kelsey taylor swift thing is just like an arranged thing for publicity purposes and Taylor Swift will get some good music material out of it. Travis Kelsey will get some downloads for his podcast and whatever else. And everything you're saying right now is reinforcing my belief that this person who said this to me might be right. So <laughs>
2: <laughs> Scott, we love you before we get out of here, tell everybody where they can find your work, where they can find me on social.
3: Absolutely. So you can find me at play like a jet one. You can find, uh,
0: Just go to indeed.com/slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed.
1: Play like a jet app on Twitter, play like a jet one. It's not often that we get to reference a solo wrestler, but Scott Mason is a hundred percent. The Quiwi, what of the AFC East Roundup? You don't need for that? Oh, That's... it was a brilliant, brilliant character. <laughs> I think the guys. I think the guy's name was Alan Funk, who portrayed Quiwi, which is essentially uh, a gay guy with an anger problem.
2: I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah, I would rather you just called him Alan Funk. It worked for Terry Funk.
1: Quiwi. K W E E hyphen W E E Wee. Wow,
2: that's a real thing that they tried. Was that WCW or WWF?
1: WCW. I hope the next time he's here, he slaps you in the sharpshooter. I mean, he. I'm getting images. <laughs> he, this is this is easily the the be, the best one. I'll put it up, I'll put it up here on the main one. Hold on here. It, his hair, look at the hair Oh my god Receding hairline and it's straight up At least he's jacked, Jesus Yeah, look at that
2: To have that hair Yes. Yeah, they here. go, wait a minute, we can make this balding guy work Can yeah. you imagine being a part of the storyboarding For this?
1: Yeah, Queewee That's who Scott is Jesus, I hope he fights you for this Yeah, Scott, you're Queewee
2: Yeah <laughs> So if we're going to pivot this conversation and talk a little bit about the Patriots. Chris, they're a team that got out to an early lead. And then because, again, we're talking about teams that do not have quarterbacks. They just disappeared in the second half. Just fell apart. <laughs> That's, here's what I love. They're 20th in the NFL in touchdowns per game. That's worse than Houston. Worse than Arizona. Arizona. Tied with Washington, all of those teams are starting first-time quarterbacks, not players who are like a year removed from needing their fifth-year option decided upon. So I guess the question is, who is this game, in your opinion, more of a referendum on? Is this Bill Belichick's fault for building this roster and selecting that quarterback? Is it Bill O'Brien for not being able to put these pieces together in a way that make a difference? Or is it just on Mac for not being able to elevate the play
1: of everybody around him? It's Bill Belichick and his inability to evolve as a coach. It's a passing league now. and You just keep doubling down. Belichick just wants to do what teams were doing 10 years ago. It's a different league now, passing league, and he doesn't want to evolve.
2: Well, to, to your point, he drafted – like, you went into this draft going, hey, our – You off- drafted
1: Chad Jackson. Uh- <laughs> you
2: don't know the passing <laughs> game. Our Here's the thing. Our offense got embarrassed the last time they made the playoffs, right? Yeah. Okay. We might want to invest in skill players. Oh shit. I went into a draft one year and drafted a guard with my number one pick because that's important. And I said, okay, maybe they're really trying to prove, maybe they know something about how Mac Jones deals with pressure. And they think like Tom Brady, he can't have pressure in his face because he's not the greatest athlete. So instead they go, Hey, we're going to address, we're going to get the most athletic guard we can find. We're going to plug the hole that we think will make our quarterback amazing. And I said, okay, I, I, the pick is laughable, but if he pans out and it makes your quarterback, like if it raises your quarterback's level of play because you're giving him A and B gap protection, fine. Wonderful. Do that. Then they go out there this year and they spend their first round pick on a fucking cornerback. <laughs> like, oh no, it's Bill Belichick. You, you had the opportunity to draft Zay Flowers. A wide receiver who is currently languishing on the Baltimore depth chart could have been a New England Patriot. And instead, you took the best cornerback available. Who's good. Who's good? Awesome. But that cornerback is not going to win you a Super Bowl. That cornerback is not going to be the reason that you win a a divisional matchup. That cornerback is not going to... Chris, he won't lose you a game, but he will not win one. And that's the ticket. You had one. You had a ticket to the show of give me a player that can win me a football game. And this asshole just keeps, he thinks he's Willy Wonka. He's like, fucking, yeah, I'll just throw him around. We just what is it? He's the Joker and Batman. He's just throwing around money. Just give me, give me. Here's all my picks. Fuck it, I don't need playmakers. Just give me all the ancillary guys, the guys who do all of the stuff that doesn't actually matter to this franchise. Like taking steps forward in terms of divisional competition. Christian Gonzalez, whatever the fuck his name is, is that it? Did I nail it? Yeah. Okay. Is he going to be the reason that offensive coordinators change their game plan? No. Okay. Then you wasted a premium pick on a player who's very good at a position that doesn't ultimately change a game. Isn't that the point of the
1: draft? You would think.
2: Okay. I feel like everyone has passed Bill Belichick by. Sure. Bill O'Brien is doing he's not doing the best he can. He's doing okay. I think that we're now seeing what Bill Bill O'Brien is without an elite quarterback. Do you th- let me schemes. ask you this. Do
1: you think Bill O'Brien is uh what Doug Marone was to Gus Bradley? Yes. I can I can weasel in offensive coordinator, McDaniels is gone. They're going to get tired of Belichick. He's been around a long time. He's going to retire. Ooh. And Bill O'Brien slides in as the, Machiavellian. I, as the next head coach of the Patriots, whether it's next year or the year after. I'd love to ask Christian this question.
2: <laughs> like, Are you at all concerned that this guy's going to slowly usurp? Like, maybe he's... Chris, if you know that that guy... Ain't the guy, or that they the, we don't know the conversations that are going on inside the building. If they know that things are going sideways, maybe he loafs a little bit and just goes, "Oh, what do you want me to do? I've got these bums. I didn't pick them." Yeah, and just plays his way into a role. Ah, that's Machiavellian as hell, and I would love for it to be real because I like that stuff.
1: Then it just becomes <laughs> New England becomes what Houston was under O'Brien. Oh, who was that GM they had? Was it Nick Cesario? Yes. Does that name Colin if you know? He <laughs> comes back, goes back to the Patriots as GM when Belichick leaves. Cause he'll need somebody to select the players.
2: My question here that I was gonna close the bit with with Simonelli was what positives can you as a Patriots fan take away from this game?
1: Mac Jones is dirty. Mac Jones is dirty. That's <laughs> a positive. Dude. You fucking grab a guy's nuts.
2: You don't grab a man and then not and then what? Act like it's a it's a bridge too far that he shoved you on the ground? Yeah, yeah. He's lucky that guy didn't pile driver him. Look, Josh Allen at least had the balls to try to fight Christian Wilkins. (laughs) Yeah. On the field was trying to fight.
1: I wonder if you can do you think you could bet on that for Sunday? Will they fight? No. Will Christian Wilkins grab Josh Allen's set?
3: <laughs> that should be,
1: I would put it at uh, minus 250.
2: <laughs> minus 250. It is funny, just the level of, like, like, the rivalry's back. It's slowly, it's right there. We think that guy sucks. We think Christian Wilkins is a dirtbag. They think Matt Milano's a dirtbag, but neither one of them has done anything really egregious yet. I'm just waiting for one of them to come out of the tunnel, flipping the fans off. If Chris, if Matt Milano were to come down the tunnel in, in Hard Rock Stadium this year, just double middles flying, it would be the one of the greatest moments of my life as a Buffalo Bills fan. It
3: yeah. will
2: have brought me full circle from my childhood to now where I go, how's it feel? You sensitive pricks get some. Social media would be on fire. Everyone would hate that guy. He would have cemented himself as a villain for the Dolphins all all time, right? Yeah. The same way that Brian Cox did for the Buffalo Bills. I guess that's where we pivot this conversation to, right? Bills and Dolphins. Now, the Bills are playing the Dolphins, and as is our custom, El Fartyaga is on this week's show you heard him in our preview pod. If you're listening to this, I'm assuming you've already heard our preview podcast, and you already heard our recap podcast. You've listened to all of it. If you haven't, you better go download it, because that was a lot of fun. The Bills and Dolphins are going into week four, primed for this matchup, like something out of the 90s. Right? Both teams are dominant in very different ways, but still dominant. And now they're going to One of them has to win. Chris, is it funny that they're all four losing teams in the NFL are playing each other this week?
1: Dude, look, I'm not going to the game on Sunday because I don't have enough vacation. I have one vacation day left to choose between Dolphins, Jets, and Cowboys. And I'll let people figure out what game (laughs) I chose to go to out of those 3, well now it's 2 cuz I just told you that I'm not going on Sunday. But we've talked about it because I'm working all day and I get to I get to come home Sunday night is my game. And I got Chiefs Jets when I get home. <laughs> I might be, I, if there's preseason hockey on, I might be watching that <laughs> instead of Sunday Night Football, because it's going to get out of hand, especially if T-Swift is in MetLife. That, yeah. That's That's going to be a problem.
2: It's going to be a problem for everybody. God. I just look at this and I look statistically at where our two teams line up ahead of this game. Miami and Buffalo scored a a combined 107 points in week three. Not just weeks one through three. Just week three, our teams dropped 107 points. (laughs) That sounds like something on a Madden, doesn't it? Yeah, it's impressive. They rank number one and number two respectively in touchdowns per game. And then also there's just this idea that where your offense is so super efficient, our defense is also hyper efficient. Like I I look at this chart, Chris, and one of the things that like gives me pause. I have it bookmarked on Twitter. It's out there for anybody who wants to see it. Chris, if you could find a way to squeeze that into the graphic, it's the um the Defensive back chart and how effective cornerbacks have been in preventing separation allowed and target percentage. Something we talked about in the recap. Teron Johnson. Right? Like, Elf in this week's preview talked about the idea that, oh, they're getting Tariq all over the formations. They're moving him around. They put him in the slot. They do the... Teron Johnson is... One of the least targeted and the least separation-generating cornerbacks in all of football. He's on the mountaintop right now. No one fucks with Teron Johnson. Some of it might be because they watched the Bills' 2020 playoff game against the Baltimore Ravens. (laughs) And some of it might just be because he's playing very good football. Christian Benford... Is also up there in that conversation. Like, that's pretty impressive, isn't it? Yeah. We have defensive backs who are doing the job. So when I think about this game through that lens, I think to myself, like, we have, for, for as many things as all the flowers we want to give them for their offensive performance, we have just as many things going well for us on defense that no one gets to see that are harder to qualify and quantify. I had a thought watching our game and seeing the out-of-town scores. Last week I talked about just in terms of the health of the Bills and the Dolphins. Like We're healthy football teams. And we shouldn't be surprised that we're being successful. We have good coaching, good quarterback play, strong offensive schemes, good defense, blah, 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 blah. But then you look back and you go, well, I was told at the beginning of the season that the AFC was going to be a gauntlet, right? I was told that this was going to be one of the most difficult conferences. This was the toughest the AFC has been. Chris, if you want to go ahead and give me a goog on this TV, bring up the conference standings for the AFC. I was told that this was the most competitive they were ever going to be and that there was going to be nail butters galore and that... The st- I was told the Steelers were a better wild card contender than the Buffalo Bills. I was told these things. Now, If you want to filter this by conference... Seven
1: teams above 500.
2: Okay. Seven teams above 500. But if you actually go to the standings... uh, American football... Ah, see, they're breaking up by division. That website's not giving it to you. All right. So, realistically, if you were to... Yeah, that's the one right there. Hang on. Division standing. Division standings. Hang on. Go there. Click that. And then there's going to be a toggle button that says conference. Hell yeah. Now rank here we go so Miami Dolphins are on top Kansas City some of the Chris the Pittsburgh Steelers are on top of the Kansas City Chiefs laughable Um net points is negative the Pittsburgh Steelers are currently according to NFL.com second in terms of rank if you sort it that way but the hilarious thing is their net points are negative 14 Chris how are you negative 14 and in second place in the conference
1: other other things factor into the Pittsburgh Steelers being ranked there. Sure.
2: Also, Kansas City Chiefs with 38 points above. That will separate over time. Yeah. <laughs> Guess who has the second highest margin of separation from anyone else in the conference, Chris? Look at that number as you scroll down. What,
1: 56?
2: 56 is the Buffalo Bills. It's us, and it's Miami. And then Kansas City's there with 38 the Cleveland Browns they're at 41, which was a byproduct of that dog shit showing by the Titans. But realistically, everyone else, look at some of these teams that we were told were going to be threats. The New York Jets are negative 19, obviously some of that's injury driven. The Patriots are negative 7 in net points. <laughs> they're they're getting outscored. The Baltimore Ravens are 16 scratch and they're 2 and 1, but that loss to the Colts feels big, doesn't it? Yeah. You lost a Gardner Minshew at home. When you look at it, it's Kansas City, it's Buffalo, and it's Miami right now.
1: Miami will fall off.
2: Sure, maybe. No, they will. But it's like that astronaut meme where it's like one guy's looking at the earth and goes, Oh my God, it was round the whole time. And the other guy has a gun to the back of his head and he goes, It was the whole time.
1: Just a Kyrie Irving meme?
2: No. No. No, but I love that reference. It was it's this idea that the Bills and the Chiefs were always going to be the best. The question was can Miami take that step? They have tools. Can they actually make it work schematically? They're making it work.
1: They're they're making it work in spades. I'd believe it if all of football was played in only September.
2: Meanwhile, look at everyone else who is supposed to be Jacksonville Negative 18 and just lost to the Texans. Like, the Bengals. Your quarterback is hurt. I get that. But also, he's always fucking hurt. He's missed just as many games as Tua has, but no one gives him credit for it. Or maybe it's not credit. No one gives him shit for it the way that Tua gets. Burrows missed a lot of games. And he's starting off the season just as ineffective as he did last year. So... Why are we to believe that these three teams, like, these teams aren't the ones, right? And we should have kind of seen that coming. So as we get ready to watch our teams duke it out for what is a big leg up in the AFC East, whoever loses can hang their head on this idea that in an AFC that just a little while ago we were told was going to be this hyper-competitive, oh my God, you know, you have to go 10 wins, 13 wins in order to win Stacked, I think, is the term. Chris, this has been more of a disappointment than anything else. Is the AFC disappointing in terms of who you thought was going to be a contender and who's actually playing like dog shit?
1: No, the Rodgers injury plays a factor into it, and that's 100%. probably the only thing. Miami's going to fall off as the season goes. That's a That's a given.
2: So you didn't buy the hype? On Jacksonville?
1: Uh, Jacksonville, they can turn it around. I mean, we're not going to notice if they're good because they're in Jacksonville.
2: What about Cincinnati?
1: That might be a problem depending on Burroughs' calf. I'm not going to lie to you. You don't get.
2: uh, For anyone who didn't, like, I hate watching Monday Night Football. This is a team. That played a Rams team that refused to run the ball in the red zone and went 0 for 4 after being the number one red zone offense for three weeks. They didn't run the ball. They lost the game because of it. And I go to myself, if you get the Bills in that game, we decimate this team. We would destroy them because in the red zone, we've now learned both to run and to pass. You're not going to get away with a lot of that. And they're that close to being 0 and 3. They had to take it down to a final onside kick, Chris, in order to not lose that football game against a team that went 0 for 0 for 4 in the red zone. That's pathetic. I don't. I think their team's unhealthy, and I don't think their offensive line is nearly as good as it was last year. I think this idea that they traded away their tackle and then moved a guy and acquired another guy, it's not working right now. Maybe it will. Maybe by the time the Bills play them late in the season, it'll be more of a matchup. But for today, where I'm looking at, it might not matter by the time we get there. There are a lot of these teams that we were told were going to be tough that have not been. And as this gap, like right now, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. We have seven teams in the entire conference with a winning record. Everyone else is one and two or worse. That number is going to expand. That number is going to get worse. The Steelers are going to lose more games, right? The Colts are going to lose more than two games. They should be one and two right now. It just... I'm looking at this saying to you, this this conference is not as difficult as we thought it was going to be a month ago. Because we're a quarter into the season now. It's not a month ago. It's a quarter way through the season. I expect that the Bills will not only be at the top of this, but that at the end of the season, we're going to look back and feel like we were all stupid for all the hand-wringing we did. Barring an injury to someone important like, what else? Josh Allen. I expect us to be in that top 3 conversation in the AFCs, don't you?
1: Yeah. Dustin Kansas City. That's it.
2: So, with that, I can't wait to see how this weekend's matchup shakes out because this weekend is going to go a long way towards what Chris, say what you want. They'll fade down the stretch, sure. This weekend for Miami is a a chance for them to take a step forward. And really cement the idea that they're a real contender in the AFC, that they might even be the team to beat, right? Kansas no. City hasn't looked good. They, they beat up on the Bears, who if you can't beat up on the Bears, you don't belong here. Otherwise, they've looked pretty pedestrian on offense. The Dolphins, meanwhile, are reeling off points and they're doing, this conference might come down to Buffalo and Miami. And so in that way, I'm looking at this thinking to myself, this matchup is huge. The gravity of this, it's just one game, but it's a its a measuring stick for both teams. I can't wait to see how it shakes out. And the AFC fate hinges on it because the other two clearly aren't touching us, right? No. All right. So it would give Miami a two-game lead and an early tiebreaker. I can't wait to see what happens on Sunday. Get back, regroup, come back and do this on the podcast next week. For those of you, just so Chris can't edit it out of the podcast, before I close, Chris and I snipe back and forth a lot at each other, and I am a very terrible person to do a show with because I don't take accountability for a lot of the things I do. I lean on Chris a lot. He's the producer of the show, and I talk a lot of shit about him, but he is one of the best at what he does.
1: A lot of my time spent, if you're watching on YouTube, I do a lot of this. <laughs> he does a lot of this I do a the lot of sidebar. This.
2: He's always pointing at his watch.
1: Yes, meaning time.
2: So when we were talking to Scott Mason at the top of the show, I read him a text that I sent to Tyler Dunn. Yeah, Tyler Dunn, longtd.com. Chris, obviously you're doing a lot of great work over there.
1: Just the Favre show and any one-off interviews. Okay. We did blood so that was yeah. fun,
2: yeah, so 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 you're I talked about how proud I was that Chris had honed his skill set to to be able to do these things, and that realistically, that's kind of where this thing was born was this idea that this was gonna be an avenue for Chris to scratch this itch of his, and if it turned into something it turned into something, and now we're sitting here today. And I feel like over the years I've kind of lost sight of that, and I've given Chris a lot of shit that he doesn't deserve, and that I'm a very difficult partner to work with in this setting, and the fact that you haven't thrown me out of here speaks to who you are as a person, who you are as a friend.
1: Well, if you left, then there's no show.
2: And I love you. Don't ever say that to me in public. Yeah, there we go. See, there we go, that uncomfortable face. I know the face you make when you're uncomfortable. Guys, Chris, he's one of my best friends, even though it seems like we don't like each other. And a lot of times we genuinely, Chris, fair, we probably don't like each other sometimes.
1: Yeah, but it's also we understand the basis of the friendship portion portion of the sports and drinking and a lot of people might relate based on how we met was our girlfriends at the time were friends and they want to be able to bridge that gap with the boyfriends and at least like for me if i'm gonna meet somebody else's significant other that's and um, there's the first thing is like, do they watch the Bills? Do they watch the Sabres? Do they like sports in general? Because that's like the basis foundation of a relationship between guys is sports and drinking. And that's what we have. And then also, we both are cut from the same cloth is when you do something and I don't like it. I'm going to fucking tell you, and you're going to do the same thing to me, and <laughs> so, then we're going to have uh, a beer and, exactly. s- and still have no problem going to uh, Bill's games or, or anything <laughs> like that. It's
2: because we're guys and we're friends. And Chris, I'm not ashamed to say it, and I know it makes you uncomfortable, so I'm going to say it again. I love you. I love you, brother.
1: You die in a house fire.
2: (laughs) And on that note, guys, this has been a lot of fun, but we gotta get out of here. I'm Drew Gear, that's Chris Krueger, and this has been your AFC's Roundup.